This place is on the map. The adventure map. Welcome to the Marty Morissette audio experience. <laughs> Let's go. Ah, the return to work after a canoe trip. I just returned from a four-day whitewater canoe trip on the Kunal River, my official uh, my official canoe trip opener of the season for me. And uh, I'm on my drive up to work right now. I'm trying to find some, uh, some time where it might be a little easier for me to come in and record those podcasts. So I'm doing a test here in my car today. I'm not exactly sure how the sound's gonna look like, if it's gonna be acceptable or not. But we're doing a bit of a test today. Uh, so, uh, so, so bear with me if the sound is horrible for this episode. Let me know in the comments. Let me know uh, on social media if it's just too distracting with the ambient sound of the car. Um, but I just came back from the Coulonge River, one of the three sisters here in the uh, Pontiac region of Quebec. It's one of the major tributaries to the Ottawa River itself. Uh, a very historical route for voyagers and, of course, a very well uh, used and traveled uh, river f- uh, from the First Nation people uh, for however long they were here before uh, any any Europeans came out here. Uh, what a pleasure to paddle the Coulonge River. The Coulonge River uh, is one of the th- three sisters. So last, su- last summer I did the Noir. This year I did the Coulonge. Next year I'm hoping to do maybe the Dumoine. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal rivers, although I have never done the Dumoine yet. But so far, the Coulonge is, uh, I believe, is my preferred one of uh, between the Noir and the, well, between the Noir and the Coulonge, I believe that the Coulonge is my preferred one at this point. Just a beautiful, beautiful river was a river with so many different geological features, lots of like massive rock caps. Uh, many, many, um, I think we went over four, three or four falls, beautiful falls, very spectacular falls. Uh, the white water was nice, although the, wa- the water was so high th- at the time of the year that we went in uh, this year that uh, it was just really like big white water. Uh, you know, some, some of the rapids, some of the bigger R3, R4s were just too massive to get through. Uh, but a lot of the R1, R2s just became like massive wave trains. So not the most technical. I have to say that last year's trip on the Noir, the whitewater was more technical than what we did on the Coulonge. But I do think it's because the water levels were so high that, it, you know, there were no rocks to hit. Everything was just buried under the water and there was just massive wave trains and super fun. Very, very, very fun. I, I, uh, I'm very happy we did this. I went with my buddy Ulian and my buddy Mo, uh, that you both have seen in previous videos before. And uh, this time around, we did something a little differently. We all went with solo boats. Uh, so my my first time whitewater solo canoeing uh, on a trip. I'd done a couple of R2s, R1, uh, class twos, class ones. Sorry, R1, R2, R3 are for uh, French, the classification of rapids for French. But I've, I've done many C1s and C2s uh, with uh, my Swift Dumoine solo before, but I never ran up to R3, uh, C3 solos, and I never uh, actually paddled a little 14, uh, 14-footer boat either. Uh, so uh, a whole new experience for me and an experience that I really, 
really, really loved, like, like really loved. I cannot believe this is the first time I, uh, I did this. I'm really looking forward to doing more of that. This time around, I, I was riding a little boat, 14-footer boat from Eskif called the Vertige X. And to me, I haven't ridden many solo boats uh, in the past, to be honest, but that boat seems to be a phenomenal boat for that because you have enough room to put your barrel in front of you and then your massive, like your 120 liter slog MEC, like dry bag behind you with having both of the balloons in there, like the float, float bags as well. And just, you know, the boat had a really nice rocker, good maneuverability. And uh, the only thing though, is if you've never paddled a little solo whitewater boat, you're in for a treat because, you know, I tell this to, to mo I, t I, said, I tell the story all the time. To me, I started to canoe between the age of like probably eight or 10. And by the time I was 10, 11, 12, I can't exactly remember the, um, the timeline there, but I was always able to, I've been able to solo a regular tandem 16 footer boat since I was probably, let's say 12, okay? And um, I have not had to think about paddling to be able to track a canoe forward in over like 20 some years, like 23 years. It's just been a very much a part of what I do and a skill that I've mastered at a really young age. And then all of a sudden I jump in this 14 footer whitewater boat and it all I can think about for the first 24 hours is how can I not keep this boat straight? Like every paddle I give, the boat spins on you. Doing the regular J-stroke, it doesn't really apply the same way. Uh, so the entire paddling technique had to be, I had to relearn and refigure out the whole uh, paddling technique. My buddy Mo that's been, that was on the trip with us has been paddling for, I don't know, 40 years, 30 years, uh, solo play boats. He's been a river guide. So he was a really good coach to me to kind of educate me on how to do this. And the cadence is very different. What you end up doing a lot of the times is first of all, edging on your boat becomes really, really useful to counteract uh, you know, the, the power of stroke on one side so that you can really kind of stay straight. So just using a little bit of edging, but also making sure that you use the power phase of your stroke. So everything between in front of you all the way up to your hips, making sure that you do these small little strokes of power at the front of the boat instead of doing these long elongated strokes that corrective strokes where you go from front to back and at the back you correct. Honestly, those regular corrective strokes that you've learned from a regular tandem boat, they just don't work. They literally don't work. Your boat won't respond to it very well. And uh, it's, it's actually pretty impressive. I, it, it just didn't work out. So to me, the way I would find it is I would do two small stroke, power stroke, and then one longer one for, uh, for um, to get a, a bit of momentum where I would do a corrective stroke in the back. And I wouldn't even do the, the J stroke where you put your thumb down towards the water. I would actually do the white water J stroke, which is essentially just paddle and thumb your, your, the, the, the hand that holds onto the grip of the paddle, the thumb points up instead. And just because the whole like curling your wrists over down was just not working because of the shape of the boat, it just wasn't as comfortable to ride. So it would be two small stroke, power stroke, one long one corrective stroke, working with the edge as you're doing your power strokes, your two first power strokes, being on the, on the edge of your canoe, 
the right. So let's say you're paddling on the right side. I would be on the right edge of my canoe, do two power stroke. And then when I would do my long stroke, I would flatten out the boat to then be able to correct it. Because if I would try to do that on the edge, it, on the edge of the canoe, it, it wouldn't work either. So been a fascinating, fascinating four days for me. Uh, I will definitely be back on the river with solo boats. I loved it. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. Uh, if you're looking for a boat for that specific purpose to maybe be able to do up to like 10 days solo on a river like this to do whitewater canoe trips, uh, the Vertige X from Eskif to me, I, you know, I think is a fantastic boat from my experience of of paddling about 85 clicks on it over four days. I absolutely loved it in the rapids, really maneuverable, really fun to play around. Um, all in all, just a fantastic boat and all in all, just a fantastic trip with amazing, amazing people. Uh, as you guys know, I love to do this podcast in a very interactive matter as much as possible. I love to take the opportunity to answer your questions if ever you have any. And uh, today we do have a question from the public, from the, from the, uh, one of my, one of the followers, one of the viewers, uh, Swifty Paddler, Ron. Uh, so I'm very excited to get into that, uh, but in just a second. But if you're interested in sending me a questions, you have any, you know, you, you have any questions on anything, you'd like to hear my thoughts on a or my take on on a specific point. Uh, I really, really encourage you to take a selfie video of yourself. Nothing, nothing crazy, very simple selfie video of yourself uh, asking a question to me, DM it to me through Instagram or on Facebook Messenger. I'll save it and this way I can bring you on to the podcast and bring value to the conversation because if you have this a question, I'm sure a lot of other people have the same question as well. Always need to bring some coffee, obviously for the folks just listening at home. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee in the car right now <laughs> for my commute. And you might, you guys may have noticed this, but if you do listen to the podcast on Spotify, I do upload a video version of it now as well. I'm trying to, like I said, just bring as much value as possible and for me to record it at the same time on my iPhone. It's a pretty straightforward concept. So um, let's dive into... Ron's question, the Swifty Paddler on Instagram. Hi, Marty. Swifty Paddler here. I've got two questions for you that I think you're well positioned to help me with. The first is about canoeing, whitewater canoeing to be specific. I've been flatwater canoeing for most of my life, and it's always been my practice to tie my gear into my canoe with a good length of loose rope so that if I somehow flip, have to go swimming, and then self-rescue my canoe, my gear will be loose and floating close by, not holding the canoe down. But does the same practice hold in white water? If I were to flip in white water, I'd be worried about having loose gear trailing behind my canoe. It might get caught up in something and put a lot of stress on the canoe, possibly causing damage. Having gear tightly tied into the canoe seems better, and I'm guessing that a self-water rescue on a river might be easier. I'm more likely to be uh, able to move the canoe into shallow waters. So bottom line, what's your practice? How do you secure your gear when it's loaded up and you're running rapids? Second question is easier. On my last trip, I realized that I now have quite a ragtag set of ropes for my tarps. Some are light, some are thick, some are short, some are long. 
The whole set is really too heavy and mismatched. I want to buy some new rope that's strong, light, holds knots well, not like the cheap nylon rope that you get at certain hardware stores. So, any recommendations? What ropes have you found that work well? Thanks in advance, bud. Peace! <laughs> nice one, Ron. Uh, if anyone's um, interested to look up at Ron's work on Instagram, he's the Swifty Paddler. He's a fantastic photographer in the Ottawa region. Go check him out, show him some love. He does some fantastic, fantastic work on Instagram. For your first question, Ron, uh, I, actually, I think I'm going to answer the second question because it's a shorter answer and then we can dive deeper in the, in the first question after. Um, for your second question for your rope, I don't, in all honesty, I don't have, I, think, I, I don't believe that I have the best solution. The only rope that I've used for the past three to five years for me is the Paracord 550. What I do is I go on Amazon, uh, or you can go to martymorissette.com slash gear. You'll see it'll be one of the pieces of item on, on my website there. But I go to Amazon and I buy like a, a 500 or a 1,000 foot spool of paracord and I just cut to length as needed to me. Now you ask what is the best rope. I don't believe that paracord cord is the best rope. I do believe that there are uh, ropes that are stronger maybe the same size or maybe a little smaller that don't stretch as much. The biggest downfall to paracord is that it stretches a lot. So if you pitch your tarp, you're going to have to constantly adjust it, especially if it rains, to keep it really nice and taut because, um, well, if it rains, there might be many reasons why you have to readjust it. Just, just a sill nylon itself will stretch as well. But regardless, paracord will stretch and it's not what I think is, I think there are probably far more better options out there, but it's an option that I've used for three to five years myself that has never failed me. So that's kind of my answer to it. I, it's the best, it's the best answer I have, to be honest. I like my paracord, but every time I post videos about, about knots on TikTok or Instagram, a lot of people talk about how paracord is the worst rope ever. Um, I understand where they're coming from, but I have yet to put my hands on something affordable uh, that was better, if that makes sense. Because the other thing is the line, the other kind of line that you can purchase is quite expensive. And uh, again, the paracord has always done the job for me, so I've been sticking to it. But uh, I'm sure there's there are actual better options out there. They're just, and maybe they come at the same price. I, I really don't know. It's not something I've researched a whole lot. But every time I do research it, I just don't find what I need. And when I buy line or rope, I like to buy it by the spool so I can make different lengths and just have a ton uh, to last me for a while. So hopefully that answers a question. I think that Paracord will be far better than anything else you're going to buy at Canadian Tire or any other kind of like stores like this, especially the nylon rope or, you know, the plasticky kind of rope or even like the stiffer, bigger, like, uh, um, cotton kind of rope i do believe that the paracord is better than that and uh it holds like 550 pounds that's why it's called paracord 550 so it's you know i've never had it fail on me for your first question it's uh it's a highly debated question actually amongst the world of whitewater canoeing i don't know that there's a right answer uh because there's really kind of two clans to it there's the people that tie their stuff into the to their boats 
so that they don't lose their stuff. And then there's the people that don't tie their stuff into the boats so that if ever they do tip and they pin their boat or wrap, they wrap their boats on a rapid, they don't have to worry about their gear while they're trying to deal with that. The appropriate answer to this question consider, or the appropriate way to do this considering the two clans is that if you're in a drop pool river, meaning that the river is may have a current and may be continuous, but typically speaking, it kind of, after every rapid, there's a bit of a pool, like a bit of a lake, if you will, an opening where things can go in and stop. Um, that, you know, that's what you would call the drop pool river. And that's when you would see people not tie their stuff because they don't, they're not super worried about their gear traveling hundreds of kilometers uh, before they find it. Uh, more than likely after the rapids, it's just going to get stuck in an eddy. Maybe it'll continue a little bit, but after a couple of bends of the river, it's going to end up being in an eddy and you can recuperate it there. So that's one way of doing it. And then the other way for the people that that will suggest, well, and then on the, on the flip side, if you run a river that doesn't have a drop pool, like especially when you look at like the bigger rivers that run really fast, like the Nahani River, the Liard River, like the northern rivers that run like really fast, like up to, I don't know how fast they run, but like to give you an example on the, uh, what I was told by my buddy Mo who, who paddled and, and guided the Nahani for years, he told me like putting in a 40 to 60 click day on the Nahani is not out of this world, depending on the section, obviously, because of how fast the water push. And in that kind of situation, uh, not tying your gear is not really an option because you don't have, you can't hope to think you're going to catch up to your gear if you're going to spend an hour on pinning your boats uh, or, you know, an hour catching up with, with if you tip capsize over and you have to self-rescue. So um, in those cases, it's non-negotiable. You have to tie your, your gear in. Those are kind of the two options when people do that. And I'll address the answer about the self-rescue and the, and the rope after, because in white water, and even honestly, in my opinion, even in, in flat water, that it should be done maybe a little bit. There's, there's a better technique that I actually just learned not that long ago from my, my buddy Mo, who has, like I, I said, like Mo has over 1500 days on river as a guide. Uh, over a, the course of like 10 to 15 years. So his experience level is really, really high and very applied. What I do myself personally is I like to strap everything in my canoe for any river that I do because I just don't want to have to run after my gear. And I like that everything sticks together with the boat. So this way the boat will come back up and float all together. And the way I tie things up is pretty basic i just typically speaking use the the belt weight the 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 waist belt of my packs and i'll 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 clip that around one of the bars in my canoe and then my other dry bags will be clipped with carabiners to loops at the bottom of the canoe or on my float bags nothing super extensive but i do like to keep all of my things together my extra paddle will be tied in with my with my rod my fishing rod for example so that this way if i capsize i have like this one massive clump of gear the people that don't like to tie their things in their canoe is because their argument is that if you pin your boat and for the folks at home that don't know what pinning a boat is is when you're whitewater canoeing let's say you hit a rock or you take a rock sideways you're more than likely there are 
very high chances of you capsizing when that happens. And if your boat gets stuck on a rock while the, while the rapid or the river current pushes the boat against the rock, that's when you call, that's what you call pinning a boat. Or you'll hear people saying wrapping a boat because literally the, the strength of the water are, will push the boat and will wrap the boat around a rock. And that's why the specific material like T4 Max or back in the day Royal X or uh, I think Tough Tough or Tough Nuff or whatever the, the, the material is from Novacraft, these materials, that's why they're so valuable when you go whitewater canoeing. Sure, they're heavier, but they can, they can take a beating. They can literally wrap around a rock without tearing and you can, with proper technique, unwrap your boat or unpin your boat, step in the boat to give it its original shape back and you can finish your, your trip compared to a Kevlar boat, mind you, some of them are extremely strong, but the power of the river will just rip it apart. And if you have a ripped canoe in half, there's not a whole lot of things that you can do to finish uh, you, the, the ride. You kind of have to get rescued. So um, the people that don't like to tie their things into their boats, their argument is often around the fact that if you do pin your boat, all that gear will be in the way of you trying to unwrap your boat or unpin your boat. Um, and for the folks at home that have no idea what, how you would do that, you essentially do that with pulley systems using anchors from shore and rope. Uh, it, and there's a bunch of techniques around that. And the idea for that is that if all your gear is in the way, uh, it might not be, it, it'll make it harder to unwrap your boat. So <clears throat> my thought process with that is, although wrapping or pinning a boat is a real possibility, it is also, a, in my opinion, a low possibility. I'll call it like that. Because most of the time, the bigger hit in a rapid happens at the end of the rapid. So usually you have like your fun rapid and then you get to the end of the rapid where everything kind of drops into the pool that I was talking about earlier. And then, and then everything kind of slows down after. So to me, when you, most people flip, typically speaking, or if you're experienced enough and you're, you, you have some, if you have some experience, most people flip on the last hit because that's the largest one that you get. So for that, um, and, and, and because of that, pinning a boat is, although very, a very real possibility, it's not as common. So when I have to kind of decide which one I prefer running after my gear or having to deal with my gear when it's pinned, considering the, the possibilities of me tipping, hitting the last wave, like the hard hole of a rapid at the end of a rapid compared to hitting, uh, getting pinned up rapid with all my gear, I always take the odds of flipping at the end. I, to me, I feel like those are higher odds. So that's kind of why I go with it. The other thing too, is if you're in a situation where your boat is, is unwrappable or unpinnable, uh, more than likely you're on the rock on top to which your, your boat is being, is trapped in, or maybe you swim back to it. Um, I've never lived the experience myself, so it's just assumptions, but I feel like it won't be that hard if you manage to get back to your boat where you're gonna start doing the unpinning procedure to just reach into the boat and, and detach uh, some, of the, some, of the, some of the gear in there anyways, if it is indeed in the way. So 
that's kind of my take on it. I don't think it's, uh, you, you can take this like the Bible. There's a lot of different school of thoughts. Hopefully I explained the two major different school of thoughts that people have and why I do mine and the way I do it. Um, and hopefully that can, that can offer you some, some guidance around that. Now for the self-rescue part of it, that's an interesting technique that I just learned that I think is, is probably considering who is coming from and, and when you think about it, uh, it makes the most sense is that your throw, the, the, the real rope that you need to have in mind for, uh, for rescuing yourself is to have your, your throw bag, which is part of the safety, um, the safety requirement, uh, gear requirement that you need anyways to go out canoeing, uh, let alone whitewater canoeing and having a, what I like to do is I like to take my, the throw bag and at the back of my canoe have, I modify my canoe just to have like a, like a, uh, a shock cord where I can just literally lift the shock cord, the shock cord and put my bag, my throw bag underneath it and the shock cord hold it in place there. And then what you do is the running part, the running line, so the running part of the, the throw bag, you tie that to the end of the canoe where you usually have the little bit of the rope, right? So that you can carry your canoe or at the handle, wh whatever you have, depending on your canoe. So you tie that there, the running line, so that when, if and when you need to self-rescue, so let's say you capsize in a boat and all you want, and especially if you're in a rapids, all you gotta worry about is grab the, literally grab the, the throw bag, pull it out of the, of the, of the, uh, the shock cord and then swim away with it because, because you tied, because you tied the, 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 the part you, you, it's hard for me to explain without a visual, but usually what you would do when you use a throw bag is you use the running line, right? The end of the rope. That's the, the last thing that you stuffed into the bag. You hold onto it. Then you take the throw bag, you throw the throw bag, you use it as a weight to, to get to someone now. And then you hold on to the end of the line here in the other hand, that end of the line, if it's tied to your canoe, when you grab the, the throw bag and you just swim away with it, now you have a really nice grip with it and then your throw bag becomes will now run itself out as you swim to shore so then you can you can you can pull it back and you don't have to worry about managing your rope or making sure that you open your throw bag and try to feed the rope out or just have the other thing that Mo was telling me is that just having the rope as what you're holding on to when your hands are cold and colder temperature it's a lot harder to have that dexterity compared to just grabbing the big throw bag and then now you have a really nice handle to be able to sell, go back to shore in an eddy and then just self-rescue yourself. And I think that's probably the best way altogether anyways, whether it's flat water or white water, um, seems to make the most sense to me. Hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this episode. Once again, if you want to participate in the podcast, make sure that you send me your questions, video questions as much as possible so I can, uh, since I'm doing this as a video, just selfie, upright picture, that's perfect. We'll bring you in. Uh, I want to interact with you. I want to bring you as much value as possible. I'm very excited about the Cronange River videos. I'm going to be editing, putting all of those up together real soon, uh, hopefully within the next week, I'm gonna be able to release it. And this year I've decided to daily vlog each of my trips. So this was a four day trip and I've got four different small six to nine minute videos 
for that trip that I'm going to be releasing back to back to back as a series. But each and every one of those videos will have its own storyline. But there will be value just like a sitcom where every every episode has its own storyline. But there is value into uh, watching the entire series because there's going to be uh, references from one episode to the other. I'm very excited to bring this on for you guys. Uh, I've got many more trips coming up this summer, all all river trips too. So I'm very, very excited to continue to be in the rivers, go in the rivers with the kids as well. So uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Now it's uh, all about uh, getting back into the groove of, uh, you know, coming back from a canoe trip. It's always a bit of a, <laughs> coming back to civilization and regular life is always not hard, but you know, different. Anyways, have a good one, folks. I'll catch you up on the next episode. Peace.